Hey there, healthcare humans. Before we get into this episode, I did want to let you know that it's not too late for you to register for my upcoming workshop. Um, Well, if you're listening to this when it comes out, um, my next workshop is going to be on October 13th, Thursday, October 13th at 8 p.m. Eastern, and the topic is Managing Unrealistic Expectations. We're going to talk about loving, um, offering a loving no to unrealistic patient requests, leading any clinical encounter with confidence and calm, and reclaiming ownership over the value you offer to patients. So if that sounds like, ooh, I'm interested in those things, and it is October 13th or earlier in 2022, um, visit my website, joanchanmd.com and click workshops and you'd be able to register there. I really hope to see you on that night and to be learning together. Now on with the episode. Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hello, healthcare humans. Uh, Thanks so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. We have a bonus episode today, which um, bonus makes it sound extraneous, but I think of the bonus ones as like the cherry on top, like the real delightful um, extra juice for you. So, and this is no exception. Um, This is my second interview I've done with another healthcare human. And this one's very special to me because this particular healthcare human actually works with me, you know, every day in my work in primary care. Um, uh, it's Karen Cox. She is a nurse practitioner who works in my office and, um, I've had so many conversations with her and we've, you know, shared our stresses and, um, the things that we've been going through as two mothers with tiny humans in, in the midst of a pandemic, also trying to, you know, provide healthcare to other humans. And, um, I really wanted her on the podcast to share some of that and, um, what she's learned also, you know, in her experiences being both a patient and a provider in our healthcare system. So I hope you find this helpful. I feel like there's some great sort of practical tips of um, ways that she helps herself feel better. And I hope you find it validating to know, like, if you are struggling with some of the things that I struggle with and Karen struggle with, you are not alone which is kind of the main message of this whole podcast. So with no further ado, enjoy this episode. Okay, so I'm here with one of my favorite humans in healthcare that I get to actually work with on a regular basis, Karen Cox, who's a nurse practitioner who works in my office. Um, Yeah, and like we were just saying before we started recording, maybe I'm actually going to turn this podcast into like making people have conversations with me for an hour when usually like we get to like chat with each other for like 10 minutes while we're like zooming between everything we do seeing patients. So thank you for coming on and spending a whole luxurious hour with me, Karen. Well, thank you for asking me. (laughs) I just love you too. So this is just lovely time together. Just like mutual (laughs) love fest. It's perfect. Um, So I was wondering if you would uh, introduce yourself, whatever it is that you want to say to me and to the audience. 
Yeah. Like so say? Karen Cox, nurse practitioner, work with the Guelph Family Health Team. And um, I've been a nurse practitioner for about six years, going on six years. And before that worked as a registered nurse in like acute care pediatrics and oncology and um, uh, emerge before doing my NP. And uh, on a more personal level, I like to run. I have three young children. I have a husband. We just, we moved into our new-ish home about a year and a half ago. So um, all those good things. I like to cook. I like to bake. I like to cook more than I like to bake. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that, that's me that's in a you. nutshell. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, you know, well, like you and I, we have conversations from time to time about some of the stresses that we share, especially both being parents of young children just in healthcare in general. And then the past few years of being parents of young children uh, with a pandemic going on and then also working in healthcare. So I thought as a start, like, how's it been for you being a human in primary care over these past few years? What, what's been going on for you? Well, I would say that, that like the majority of work, I think in primary care is very rewarding work. And I think that's why so many of us do it because we get to know our patients so well, and, um, we see them at various stages of their life during good times and during bad. And I think that that's, and, and we get to know their families and like their families are so often, you know, like, um, patients at the same clinic. So, you know, you know, all these, like these intricacies within their life. So it's, it's rewarding work because you know, them, they, you know, their daughter, their daughter just had a baby and, you also know the sad side of things. It's it's nice to get to know those people on on a personal level in that way. Um, so I would say that largely, like it is rewarding work working in primary care, but it's certainly like not without its challenges. Especially, yes, as we've talked about many times, the challenges of being a mother and um, having young children, and you know, during the height of the pandemic when kids were sick and required to isolate for five days and repeat, repeat, repeat the cycle. Like I felt like I was hardly working. I never felt like I was being judged in any capacity by that. I feel like I'm so lucky to work with a group of women, exclusively women who are um, for the, like many of them are mothers themselves and are sympathetic to the demands of being a mother and being a clinician and figuring out that balance. But I feel like everything was put to the test with COVID and trying to, you know, figure out how do you balance it all? Like all of a sudden I'm off for three days in a row and, you know, sending messages to the clinic manager being like, Hey, I need you to ask one of the docs to follow up with this because I'm not there and I don't have access to the chart and this needs to be done and da, 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 da. So I think that's actually speaks very much to what it's like being a human in healthcare is that you never forget these patients who you like, they're constantly on your mind. You live with this, you go home with this, you think about this, them, <laughs> the challenges that you're facing, regardless of the things that are going on in your personal life. And regardless of the challenges that you're facing yourself as a mother, as a clinician, as a person, whatever, like those people are still there. They still need your help. And you're, and it's, and you, and you feel this sense of responsibility and ownership to follow through with the people who you have gotten to know so well and who, you know, someone comes in and they've got this unusual lump and you know, their medical history and you know that there's a family history of cancer and you're now worried about this. And like, you think about these people until 
you've got some investigations done and never mind, like, oh, just got a call from daycare. I gotta go pick up one of my little loves. Oh, but wait, I have to like it's just it's it's a hard balance. It's a tricky balance. And yeah. So and then, you know, on top of all that, I think that so much of being a female clinician, also having children is, you know, a large part of home responsibilities do fall on moms. And so like, I'm grateful that I have a partner who, you know, my husband is wonderful and it's, we kind of tag team all this stuff, but it's still, it's still hard, you know, like, um, pulling together lunches in the morning and stuff like that. I feel like sometimes that stuff just kind of comes together quickly in the morning. And those are pressures that that's just part of having children, but it also adds a busyness before the busyness of seeing patients for the day starts. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like strategies or things that you found useful for you? Like having like, yeah, some people what's like, like cognitive load, what's the other word for it? I can't remember, like invisible workload, you mm-hmm, know, just like mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. often more, more often following on um, females in like a heterosexual relationship, but like even just like, you know, household management, childcare stuff. So you have all of those task lists, mm-hmm, like you said, mm-hmm. busy morning, and mm-hmm. now you're like going to go to busy work. Do you have any things that really work for you to kind of clear the brain, clear the air that helps yeah. you focus in? I mean, I think I, I I love to do to do lists and like, I find them helpful in personal and professional life. I find that mentally at the end of the day, if I can try and just clear out my messages and make sure that I'm largely, you know, I've gone through all the labs and at least like the labs and like imaging and stuff that needs to be attended to in a more urgent manner, like, you know, clearing that out so that mentally I can go home and not feel like I'm bringing home unfinished business and unfinished work and unfinished care. Um, so doing that at the end of the days, I'm finding like, um, at work is a good way to just maintain a bit of balance and, and separation. Um, and then just like on a more personal day-to-day level, like I've, I make it a priority to exercise because I feel like I'm just a better human and a better mother when I (laughs) exercise. It's not necessarily a huge commitment of time. I try to just get like 30 minutes every day. I find that I just have better cognitive function. It wakes me up. I just feel like I um, have more zest for life when I'm exercising and it's just, it's me time too. Like it's time apart from the kids. It's time away from patients. It's just time away from people. It's just some alone time just to exercise and yeah, do that kind of thing. Where do you usually fold that in? I think that's a common thing where if, if folks are struggling to know when to exercise, I find it helpful to hear where Mm. people fold it in when it's like, Mm -hmm. you feel like your schedule is already booked. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, have made it. I'm in t- I intentionally set an alarm in the mornings, even on the days that I don't have to necessarily go into the office or on a weekend, like I still consistently get up at five. I think, um, like I prioritize that and it's important to me. So making the time first thing in the morning and that's only new. I used to not be, I, I have not always been a, a early bird morning exerciser, but I find that if I get it done in the morning, it's done. And it makes me feel good the rest of the day. But previously I would go on my lunch hours, especially when we were doing largely like virtual care at work and I wouldn't have to physically be around people. So if I was a bit sweaty for the rest of the afternoon, I didn't really care if I squeezed in a half hour run on my lunch in the 40 degree heat in the summer because I wasn't seeing a ton of people virtually. So I think that for, if a lot, like, I think that, you know, I don't have to necessarily have access to a shower midday. Like I can have a quick run and bring a change of clothes and bring some deodorant and get through the next couple hours until the end of the day and, and make the time on my lunch. So 
Yeah. Evenings is a write-off. I don't have any motivation to exercise in the evenings. I will say I, we have similar ones. And so if anyone's listening and they're not a morning person, that is totally fine. We all have our own rhythms, but I, I'm a a. 5am. I, and that's when I get my exercise because it ain't for me, it ain't happening in the evening. No, I know. And you know what there, I've, I've listened to podcasts on, um, on like 5am wake ups and how some of the most like productive, uh, that can be the most productive time of day for a lot of people. And it's quiet and dark and there's really nobody up, but for like, for that reason alone, it's a great time to be awake and exercise. Yeah. Especially like if you went through the period of newborns where you were, you got used to being up at like four, four Totally. (laughs) You're like, Oh, this is totally fine. (laughs) I don't know how to sleep in anymore. I know (laughs) when sleeping in, I sleep in till six on the weekends. That's what a treat. Luxury. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I know. I know if I don't set an alarm, I'm st- I still am consistently up like between five 30 and six, I would say. Yeah. You're in trouble. I think like, your body gets into a rhythm. Yeah. It's that I just, rhythm. Right. And it's just yeah. like time zones. Like you're yeah. just like, this is my time zone. Yeah. You know? This is, this is me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, so like with your work, um, as a nurse practitioner, I'm curious how you find that work. I remember if you don't mind me saying, there was once where you came and you're like, listen, I know I'm a, what did you call yourself? Like a mid-level. I was feeling like I was like a mid-level provider. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Which yeah. I, I like took offense on your behalf. I'm like, <laughs> it, that sounds like you're diminishing yourself, which isn't maybe what you meant, but like, but I also know that, um, nurse practitioners, well, it's sort of an evolving space actually. And what your scope is, is changing and, um, not other sometimes, uh, even though there was tons of patient care to go around and we all could use some help. Sometimes people who have more traditional roles, for example, physicians and healthcare, but others as well, uh, forget about that we actually all need a bit of help and sometimes can get into a scarcity mindset of saying like, Hey, you're on my turf or some of that stuff, you know? And so there's all of that, but I just like your personal experience working as a nurse practitioner, like nurse, the nurse practitioner, how has that been as those roles are evolving and you're interacting with the healthcare system? Mm -hmm. I think that, um, like I'm very, I feel very lucky to work at the clinic that I do because I think that there's, uh, like all of my physician colleagues, you included, you all understand the role of the nurse practitioner and what we can offer and what we kind of bring to the table. So I feel like there's a respect there. Um, I think that I, myself, I recognize where, um, my own shortcomings might be. And so I'm grateful that I work with people who are approachable, who I can come to. I mean, just yesterday, um, you and I chatted about, you know, delivering bad news to a patient and, um, you know, you kind of, you coached me and, and helped me to kind of navigate a situation that I felt was a bit, um, you know, it, there was, it was circumstantial. It was a patient who, um, you know, the family physician isn't available to deliver this bad news, but it's a patient who I know. Um, and so I feel like, you know, as I, it's a patient who I, I feel comfortable delivering some, you know, you have to be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations in our in our world. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, as 
being positioned in the way I do with this patient, I, I was appropriately positioned to deliver some bad news to her. But the nice thing in my role is that I can come to you, even though you're not the physician and I can just, you know, the most responsible physician, I can say to you, like, can you help me through this? I need you to walk me through this and just mm-hmm. kind of work this out. And so I think that collaboration is really best for patients. I think that it works well and does allow for the best patient outcomes because of the fact that we can have these kind of casual consults. It doesn't have to be a formal consult. It doesn't have to be anything official. It can just be kind of a quick conversation like that. But having those good relationships with physician colleagues is important, I think, for um, many nurse practitioners. And um, yeah, does that really answer the question? Does I think that so. At all? <laughs> I know. And maybe this is or isn't true for you, but I know speaking with like other nurse practitioners, I, I can see where, um, you would be easy to have like a little level of almost whether it would be called imposter syndrome or whatever it'd be called. Like, I don't know if you ever struggle with that or sometimes when the role is shifting and it is that collaborative dynamic and there's sort of these old school power structures of like the doctors or the bosses, I don't know. Does that ever kind of get in your psyche a bit or do you feel like, sure. Yeah, Yeah, I think it does. I I, I feel like that gets into a lot of people's psyche because I think it's hard not to, especially when you get, you know, if you, you send off a consult to a specialist and they write back some sort of response that makes you think like, Oh, I didn't, I think about it in that way. Or, um, Oh, is this person like questioning what I'm doing and, and like, how will this impact, you know, future referrals to the specialist? Because are they going to think now like, Oh, this Karen, she, she, you know, inappropriately refers or something, you know what I mean? So I feel like it's kind of, um, for everybody, I think there's that imposter syndrome. I think, I think nurse practitioners do encounter that a lot. I think it's like widely talked about. I, and I don't think it's probably just nurse practitioners. I feel like, um, I think any provider working in healthcare likely experiences that, especially newer and just out of school and stuff like that. I think it's hard not to have imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, fake it till you make it <laughs> <laughs> for real. Yeah. And really like, um, Well, I'm just thinking like, I've had a couple patients recently who like right out the gate, they're like, I just need to see a specialist for this. Mm -hmm. And that's where I wonder if that happens to you. First of all, I need to see a specialist, but it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. I want to see the doctor. For sure. And in those circumstances, I, I sometimes find that, um, I all like I'll tell if patients come in and they feel like that I will say to them right off the off the bat like I work very closely with the physicians in this clinic and um, if necessary I always will bring in the physician to let them know what I saw their patient for what investigations I've initiated what sort of follow ups most appropriate um, and depending on the physician the personality um, kind of where they're at. I might send a f- like full FYI, this is what I did, da, 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 give that update. For others, it'll just be book that patient in for follow-up with their family doctor. If the patient feels strongly that uh, I need to see my family doctor, that's fine. Like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> excuse me, I blame my children for my current <laughs> go off. That apparently is not COVID. <laughs> Good, I'm glad it's not. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh, so I think that, you know, if patients feel strongly, I wouldn't, I'm never going to be like, Oh, I don't know. Like I I'm fully capable because the reality is that like it's shared care and, um, I'm capable of getting things started, but 
the family doctors know their patients very well for the most part. And so oftentimes it is appropriate to get that second set of eyes on patients, um, have the patients follow up with their family doctor and, you know, do that, like have that shared care model. I think it, it does ultimately benefit patients the most. Mm. I love it. It sounds like, well, at least sometimes you don't take it that personally. Sometimes I feel like I take it personally, you know, and it's okay if you do or don't, but I all like, I love reminding I love this reminder for me being like, yeah. So if they're asking for extra help, like would I benefit from a second set of eyes, whether it's like e-consult or actually referring mm-hmm. or even just call mm-hmm. it like, I don't have to have all the answers. Like no. what's wrong with requesting someone else? For you sure. know? Yeah. And I've learned too, that sometimes patients are really like very satisfied with that response where you acknowledge, you know, I, you know, I don't disagree. I think maybe specialist referral is warranted, but let's see if we can do this, this, and this, mm. and I'll do this and let's follow up. And, you know, having that plan in place, I think patients really appreciate having follow-up in place. I think patients appreciate, um, yeah, yeah I think, I think that that, uh, I, I think patients can kind of get on board with that. So I, and I, because the reality is specialists and physicians and everybody else, like everybody's needed. Everybody has a place. Oh yeah. So this yeah. would never it can never be like, you know, Karen Cox healthcare system or Joan channels. Like yeah. we can't, no, thank you. I would yeah. not sign up for the job of knowing everything. Right. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. So good. Yeah. Um, I, I had a question that I, I guess could be more personal, but like, I know you have shared and also I hear your little notifications dinging about mm-hmm. your blood sugars. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know you, so you've had experiences in the healthcare system as a patient. Yeah. And I'm curious what that's offered you in terms of insight about healthcare system and how you bring that into your work as a healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, um, you know, when patients, I, I, I appreciate the sentiment that it it is hard to get in to see a provider, um, because I, I have lived that and experienced that myself. Um, and I think we all have accessing care. Um, so I, 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 and, and I also, um, can sympathize with frustrations by patients on, uh, you know, when we were largely doing virtual care and people wanted to be seen. And I mean, we were just kind of, rolling with the times and figuring it out as we went and adapting and, you know, trying to do our very best, you know, given the circumstances. Um, I think that it's a balance between, uh, you know, virtual care, I think is here to stay. I think a question is how do we make virtual care, good care, consistently good care, Mm -hmm. because I think that there is a role for it. Um, but you know, I do, so I have type one diabetes, insulin dependent diabetes. I've, um, had diabetes, uh, for, how long? Like 26 years. And yes, you hear my alarms going off generally because I eat a donut and then my sugars spike up to like, you know, 17. <laughs> <laughs> Just time to time. It's but... not all the time, but I'm always like, what's that? Then? Oh yeah. Karen's nearby. Oh yeah. Karen, is she okay. Karen, oh yeah. Karen is low. Great. Is it, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is Karen alive? Yes. Um, yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So as, as somebody with a chronic disease and also working in the system. I I know about diabetes. I know about the complications and stuff like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's the best uh, setup right now where we're doing exclusively virtual care for chronic disease management. I think that there are objective measurements that need to be taken into account for some things that you cannot capture virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that, I think we're kind of still figuring it out. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I, I get where 
where patients can be frustrated. I think it's also like, can be very frustrating for clinicians though. Like we, patients sometimes will request virtual appointments and they have that choice. That's their prerogative. But then it's something like assess a skin lesion. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> like I, yes, I would love to assess the skin lesion and try to do the very best care that I can virtually. But at the end of the day, I, I sometimes find that I get a bit frustrated with that kind of model because I think, well, this pay, this spot now was taken up with a virtual appointment where I have to bring this patient in anyways to see them in yeah. order to assess the skin and, you know, looking and thinking like, is that appropriate utilization of healthcare, especially when we're in such a crisis and patients are so desperate to secure appointment spots with providers. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that kind of thing that ends up taking up more than one spot. I find it frustrating as a clinician, but also as a patient, because I know that that's happening. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, you can't necessarily deem it inappropriate care. It's, a you know, care, universal health care. This is the way our system is, but it's frustrating, mm-hmm. um, in that sense. And I know, and as a patient, I feel frustration because I, I know that, you know, my family physician or the nurse practitioner at that clinic likely has those same situations where they've got people who are booked in with them, who end up needing to come in an office when I could have had that spot to talk about a prescription renewal or, a, you know, an episodic issue or whatever the case may be. So the system is not perfect and we're trying our best and we're kind of figuring it out as we go, but, um, it's far from perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's just like, I don't know why it's just hitting me now when you're describing, but like, I mean, so I hear a lot about like why there's, you know, there's such scarcity of say finding an appointment with any clinician and long waits and stuff. And like a piece of it is likely like delayed care and people presenting, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that plays into it, but I, yeah. I think a lot of the time it's not all of it. No, it's not maybe for yeah. a minute, for a minute there, it was like, holy moly, everyone, yes. but like now it's yeah. settled. But I, I do think you're right. Like part of what's happening is like, we're still learning And so when you're in like a learning experimenting phase, like patients are still learning how the healthcare system works now. And we are still learning how to design the healthcare system. Like, and that means there's like, so like each patient may not know the appropriate, like what makes Mm -hmm. sense for virtual or not. And Mm -hmm. so then there's these little misses, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's kind of going the wrong way. And Mm -hmm. that just necessarily slows things down. Not necessarily Mm -hmm forever and not necessarily a bad thing. Like, but it means there's a, this is the, this is the training wheel wobbly phase Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we've never had this before. (laughs) No, for sure. And I feel like there's, you know, we're, we're figuring it out as we go. Yeah. Things like, you know, eye concerns and stuff Mm. when patients are concerned that they, you know, they've had an eye issue and it's been seven days of an eye issue and they've been trying to get in to see their family doctor and they haven't been able to, do they have an optometrist? Like, do they have like, you know, trying to figure out, is there a way for that patient to kind of better access someone else so that they aren't so frustrated with their inability to access a primary care provider. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't know how you fix that. Yeah. I don't know if it needs to be fixed. I think, you know, some eye things do need to be seen in primary care, but yeah. It's again, I like, I like thinking of it as like kind of learning and growing because I get less, desperate that everything has totally. to be fixed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And there doesn't, yeah. And there doesn't necessarily need to even be a fix there. But yeah. I think it's good to just like reflect on those visits that 
you know, at the end of it, you're like, that totally should have been in person or this completely could have been done virtually is the alternative too. Yeah. Um, You know, I sometimes love having a virtual visit because I can sit and have a coffee and a water and, you know, quickly check my pump settings and my sugars and then do a quick check-in, make sure I'm not plummeting, eat a quick fruit snack, whatever the case may be. Sometimes a, a virtual visit is really great because you meet the needs of the patient and you can have a little like two minute break to just eat something and hydrate and go to the washroom, whatever. Yes. You are you know, so take right. Mask off. <laughs> take your mask. I didn't think oh. about that, but like I've, I've been having like way, way, way more. Well, for a long time I've had, I've really been intentional about like majority in person offer yeah. everyone in person. Yeah. And so, but patients have been, I've had several times now where it's like the entire afternoon is all in person. And it's like, whew, versus you didn't have any water yes. or you didn't pee. I had to actually, so then instead I'm just like, honestly, for me, cause I'm just really trying to be intentional about, you know, boundaries and needs. I'll be like, they're waiting. I'm going to go pee or like, mm-hmm. you know, but it is like this little, I like little oasis <laughs> where to think yes. of a virtual, it's like, Oh, here's just like me in my space. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It really is. I love yeah. hearing that. That's so true. When, it, it totally is an oasis. Yeah. <laughs> when, when it was all that, that it was, was too much. much. For you're, sure. I know. Ham, My stuff hamstrings. Yeah. Oh, I know. I like hamstring atrophy. <laughs> 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 my, step, my pedometer it was nothing it was like hey Karen can you get up and move please? <laughs> are you alive are you okay <laughs> just sitting there yeah yeah I can recall a, a, one of my like not low point days but like a, a day I was in the midst of my probably day one or two of having COVID but I didn't I just switched my appointments to virtual and I'm sitting there and I'm coughing and I'm just sitting in my basement for a day talking to patients. Yeah. That wasn't my favorite. Day no, that there. is a low point. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Some of the but stuff you survived. that we did. We you survived. Survive. Yeah. We learned from it. <laughs> we have. Um, I was curious, like, uh, yeah, what what would you say are some of the more draining parts of your experience working in healthcare right now? I think it's helpful to name them. Yeah. Um, I think it is helpful too. I think, um, comfortable with uncomfortable conversations, delivering bad news. Um, especially just because the last week, I feel like that is really heightened in my mind because of those four patients who I've had to have really hard conversations with. Um, and I think that is the most draining thing right now. I think to just, um, you know, preventative care and, and recognizing that a lot of people have kind of fallen behind on their cervical cancer screenings and mammograms and, and colon cancer testing. And, you know, they're, they're booked with you for their little laundry list of things. And then at the end of the visit, you're realizing, oh, they're like totally overdue for everything. Mm. Um, and you, you want to like try to meet every single need, but at the same time, you don't want to be do you know providing like drive-by primary care where you're like oh yeah you you want your tsh check sure here you go and oh yeah right like it's you want to provide good care you don't want to rush things but sometimes i feel like there is that pressure and then you get these reminders in the chart that they are due for all these things and you think okay like uh, 
do I bring you back for a pelvic? You're already here. Can I just do the pap test quickly? And, you know, labeling the specimens and getting recs printed off and all that stuff. So I, I feel like there's, and you know what, it's probably more pressure on myself than, than from anything else, because the reality is, you know, you can bring these people back for follow-ups to, uh, but just kind of feeling like, you know, we're getting caught up from COVID and after COVID. And so you feel like a sense of pressure to be like, I want everybody to be up to date on pop tests. I want everybody to, you know, and, and people are asking for, they want physicals, they want their physicals, their annual health exams that have been put on hold. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation of, you know, futility and, and effectiveness of those type, types of visits. And um, I would definitely say though, probably just the heaviness of people feel like they, they've been, you know, every, their health has been maybe put on hold and investigations have been put on hold because of COVID and, um, patients feel like they need to get caught up on things. Um, the pressure to just meet those needs, like the, 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 just the, and, and, and having hard conversations, I think is, is the end delivering bad news for people who have maybe ignored something. Um, I wouldn't say that everybody's presenting with things that are really far along, but, um, there's, there's certainly are those cases, but yeah, yeah, I think, I think sometimes like the, the work that we do in primary care can be heavy mm. um, and like emotionally taxing. And I think too, um, over the last few months, like, especially over the summer, I feel like I saw a few adolescent females with really significant mental health concerns and like that stuff's heavy. You know, I have a daughter myself. And when I hear these conversations, when I have these conversations with these young girls who are struggling so much with returning to school and feeling so anxious about that and feeling just they're like, their mood is down. They're so unhappy. And those, those just resonate with me on a more personal level, just because I think like, I would never want my daughter to feel like this. And mm. Uh, you know, those are, so I, I feel like it's hard not to have those personal feelings in healthcare. And when you have children of your own, yeah. it's sometimes hard not to internalize some of the things that you see in your practice. Um, you try to maintain boundaries, but it can be really challenging to maintain boundaries. And, um, so those, those can also, that can also be really hard in healthcare, yeah. like providing primary care that can be heavy especially you, you develop relationships over time. Right. And so it's yeah. like, how do you, I think, yeah, I, I think I used to be like, kind of judge myself for getting attached or liking like growing fond of people mm-hmm. or, and especially like, Oh, this person reminds me of my mm-hmm. family member. This person reminds mm-hmm. me and, and like counter transference and all of that. Yeah. But I mean, like, it's a word for a reason. Like, I think it's actually for me helpful to be like, I'm a human first. And if I am going to like hang out and witness the suffering and joys mm-hmm. and sorrows of another human, I'm going to feel some things about for it. Sure. I know. Yeah. I mean, I've like, I, I don't, I, I don't think there's any shame in admitting this, but like, like I, with over the last month, I've had two patients who I have cried with, like yeah. teared up with. And like, yeah. it's hard not to. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's hard not to there. You're seeing them sometimes, um, at their worst and they aren't necessarily happy with what you're suggesting for most immediate management. The one, um, was a young patient who was medically unstable and needed hospitalization. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
Yeah. She, so it was just, you know, she was, she had things going on in her life. She did not want to go to be hospitalized. Um, she wanted to go and do all her things in her personal life that were important to her that mattered to her. Yeah. So, you know, she was upset about it. And again, like I'm thinking I have a daughter, if my daughter was going through this, I would be devastated too. Yeah. So, you know, you, you carry those things. I don't, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with sometimes be getting a bit tearful with your patients, because I think that is the human side of healthcare is like, yeah. these are people and you care for them. Yeah. And, um, like, it's hard not to separate. Oh yeah. I don't, like, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I, and there's nothing wrong. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's, no. I think it's okay to cry. Totally. I'm, I'm also an, you know, sometimes an overly emotional pa- person with patients. So <laughs> like when I used to work in emerge, I used to get tearful when people would come in having a stroke. So, <laughs> Oh, that's so, I just think that I know. Okay. Cause like the model of, I don't think we're well served by the model that in which we're taught about medicine, which is emotionless, which, um, or, you know, emotions as little as possible, mm-hmm. you know, I just, my thought is it's just, first of all, it's not realistic because we, we mm-hmm. are emotional beings period. And that's like, mm-hmm. whether you're a man or a woman, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll just say like, I teared up with a patient yesterday, like for sure. Like, um, and I've like, I still remember my first, uh, patient that I provided palliative care to. And when she passed away, um, I just like full out cried with her partner and it was like really healing actually, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I think it makes sense that there's times, listen, if you're going to cry, you're going to cry. But if you're like crying, um, not like with patient, but because of patient, listen, if it's happening, it's happening. But like some, I think we know how it's like, oh, this is a moment I need to go take care of myself Mm -hmm. versus this is a moment of like connection. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. And that's just it. I'm not sitting there like blubbering, can't even finish a sentence. It's just like a tear. Tear. Yeah. Teary. And I mean, it's like, it's all fine. And I think like, Maybe even even saying this is just my internalized feeling like we have to like police our emotions. I just think tears are beautiful and they're like one of our natural things that happen in our body. Totally. And totally. we're humans. Like, what I are know. you going to do? We're going to cry. We're going to cry. And I think we, there's a lot of cry shame. Don't cry. Oh, la, la, la. And I'm yeah. like, nah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> tell people not to cry. I know. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead and cry. I know. Let it all out. <laughs> appropriately it, it is it is tricky when it then the mask gets wet yeah so that's yeah, yeah. for patients replace, to replace the mask like catch the tears for yourself because it's gonna get soggy I know <laughs> I know yeah okay and so then so I asked you about what's draining and I very much resonate with your answers they feel familiar to me for sure um and so what would you say is sustaining or nourishing or energizing about your job right now? Um, I think it, I, I like, I think for mo- like a lot of people who work in primary care and in healthcare in general, it's the satisfaction of helping people like that. That is why I, that, that keeps me going. And I feel like that keeps a lot of people going when you um, are supporting and helping and caring for people when they're, when they are, you know, at their, the lowest of the low and when they're needing help mm-hmm. that's yeah because it's rewarding work you know yeah. it, it it feels good maybe I don't know maybe that means I'm selfish but 
I get that <laughs> right. I don't know. But it is, but it's yeah, it's it's rewarding. It's because yeah. you think, okay, I've made a difference here. I've done something to help this person, you know, with ABC. Mm. Yeah. That that reminds me of um I can't remember if it was in I, I had some conversation recently about like the idea of like altruism, which I think I'm not butchering the definition, is like giving whatever the the word is where it's like giving and you don't get anything in return Mm -hmm. and that that that's like actually an extremely toxic idea (laughs) because um as bodies we're designed we're designed for our own pleasure and because i mean pleasure equaling nourishment like we're designed to feel good that's the things that help you feel good are the things that are keeping you alive historically, right? Like Mm -hmm. you put food in your body. It feels good because your body's Mm -hmm. like, yay, I have energy. I'm nourished. I'm (laughs) nourished. Like, oh, I'm rested. I feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing and in connection and feel, you know, connection with other people. That's like got a survival purpose actually, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. like, that's how you survived is if you were in good connection and standing with like the people who would help you like you know fight the bear or whatever mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and but um and so the idea that we're supposed the only way you're truly giving or the only way to be self selfless not selfish or something is like only like p- punishing yourself or, you know like of course it feels good to help other people yeah you know yeah, yeah. so I think I like I think it's so true. Like what you kind of just named is so true that we are sort of like, is this okay? And especially say you've had a day where you can't quite see where you've actually helped anyone. <laughs> Have you had a day like that, Karen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can recall, you know, like no wonder you feel a little worse off. No wonder yeah. it feels a little yucky. For sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just yesterday I had a patient in and at the end of the visit, I said to her, I'm not really sure what's going on with you, but we're mm-hmm. going to figure it out together. We're totally going to figure it out together. Yeah. We're just going to do a bit of a stepwise investigation here and figure out what's going on with you. <laughs> I think she appreciated the transparency and she was like, I don't know what's going on with me either. <laughs> yeah. Did, did so. you, did you feel a little less nourished by that than another visit where you like, were like, aha, yes. here's the answer. A hundred percent because yeah. there's uncertainty and there's, yeah. uh, the unknown and it's yeah. nice to have clear cut, mm. you know, clear cut answers, mm-hmm. objectivity, but mm-hmm. the, yeah, some circumstances just don't allow it. Yeah. And that's okay. I think that you don't, you don't have to have all the answers right at that very moment. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't think that me I've learned to, um, you know, remind myself that it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. Mm. (laughs) I'm figuring this out and I know myself, I know that I will figure it out. I just don't have the answer this right this very moment. And that's okay. I love that. I'm borrowing that and keeping that (laughs) because there's so much pressure to to know everything. Yeah. But like we said earlier, freaking impossible. Yeah, for sure. Plus and we I like too, collectively yeah. don't know everything. Like we're literally still researching things. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We could, Oh you could, yeah, totally. I know. Yeah. And I, I think patient, the, like the patient appreciated the, like the honesty that yeah. it doesn't mean I'm not going to follow up with it or finish investigating it. Yes. I will follow through. 
Yeah. I like it. Cause I think it's kind of helpful to even name internally. This is just helping me. This is why I like having these conversations. Cause like I have learned to really make sure I'm like savoring and valuing and like getting the nourishment. I really think in these terms, like in the nourishment out of an encounter like that, which is like the patient felt heard, the patient knows it felt believed. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are like, those are critical, critical, critical things for sure. Lots of times patients don't feel for sure, (laughs) you know, unfortunately. And actually like when it's like, when I hear say, for example, something like, Oh, thank you. You're such a good doctor. Da da da. It's like hilarious how often it's like, I have nailed nothing about it. I, I have, <laughs> like, wow. Like, thank you so much. You really helped me. And I was like, I didn't do any of the things that when I signed up for medical school, you know, you sign up for medical school and you think it'll be like, this is what you have. You're cured. You're cured. You're cured. I have all the answers, you know? And like, it's so oh. fascinating <laughs> how often that's not the case. And, but, and yeah, that's like, wow, like, thank you for helping me. Yeah. Because they were heard and you, you, you validated them in some capacity. Those are like, I, and I hear how often, like, um, like I teach learners and then they're like, I feel like I did was like, listen, and it's so unsatisfying. And I, and so I think I want to not like dismiss that. Cause I get it. It is so satisfying when you're like, look, you have this thing. And here's the answer. Like we can acknowledge that that's its own yummy little nourishing instant gratification. Yeah. Like, so that's like, woo, that's so fun when that happens. Like we can savor that. And it's not the only kind of value and nourishment and like enjoyment we get. Like we can also remind ourselves the value we offer exactly in that appointment. I feel like I heard you in the hall, actually, you're like, okay, and I'm going to go ask Dr. So-and-so if they have any ideas as well, was that the patient? I don't know. Yes. I heard you say that. I was like, that's so wonderful. I like heard it. I was like, that's so, cause I just felt you're like, maybe it was a little bit put on, or if you really believe like, we're just, we're going to figure it out. I was like, yeah, yeah. I just that was for that... a different patient. Who was I, wasn't, I also didn't have all the answers. <laughs> I had, I had 80% of the answers for what we were going to do for her. I loved it. Cause I heard it and yeah. I was like, it was, well, you, you say why, because I had my eye. Well, because I, I had learned yesterday that there was an opportunity to do an investigation that could potentially be done at home. And I had no idea this was an option. I thought it always had to be done in the hospital. And that's, so I said, Oh, I'm going to, this would make it so much easier for the patient. So I'm going to see what the family doctor thinks about this. Yeah. But then I learned that the the home option isn't an option for various reasons, which I don't have to get into, but anyways, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's so cool though. Cause like what I, like what I heard was like, it wasn't you being like putting yourself down. You know, I really heard like what you were saying before about like really selling the value of collaborative care to the patient. You know what I mean? Which means you believe it yourself, which I just think is amazing. Totally. Totally. Plus, I think that a lot of patients have gone, have become familiar with the NP role over the years. So they know that, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of NP, so some NPs practice differently and, and every NP kind of has their own way of practicing, but mm-hmm. I just find that what works for the clinic that I'm at is kind of the way that I've been doing it now for the years that I've been with the clinic. But, um, like, I think that that collaborative nature works. I think that's, I think that's, um, I, I think, and it works across all sectors. It's not just, you know, I don't think that any healthcare provider should work in complete isolation. We don't work in these silos. Like we have, to, we have to work with each other. Yeah. There's, you know, I can, I can do some things, but I can't do everything. Yeah. I can, you know, figure out that there's 
some sort of a lump that needs attention. I can order mm. investigations, but I'm not a surgeon. I can't remove it. I need help. Yeah. So we all need help. It's, yeah. It's all good do. to need help. Let's be it honest. Is. And then, then, you know, ask for help and get help and help each other. Yeah, yeah for sure. Good. Okay. I think I'm thinking two more questions. So one is, so like, say you had a magic wand, you only get one wish, which might be, maybe this is too hard, but like, what would be one thing that you would try and change about the healthcare system right now? Um, I think it would be shorter wait times for specialists. Yeah. Yeah. That was mine that I had. Yeah. 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 Like I specialists are just inundated again, backlog of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's the special, like, especially with dermatologists and, and, oh, it's hard, mm-hmm. hard to, yeah. I'm grateful because I've, as you know, um, Joan and I do bio or procedure days once a month together. Yeah. And I'm grateful to have that skill because I do feel like that is avoiding some ref- referrals to dermatologists because I don't have the capacity to do some biopsies on patients. And actually the, some of those patients are um, some of the people who have, I, I've had to deliver some news to lately. And so, um, having that skill is helpful because I feel like it's the specialist weight is lengthy Yeah, and it's, it, you know, you, you, your hands are tied. You want to be able to do certain things and help patients in a certain way, mm-hmm. but, um, you're, you're limited because of the, and especially, you know, working in, working in Guelph, um, where we are limited in terms of some spe- having access to some specialists simply just because of geographic location um, presents challenges mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it, yeah, that's so true. Cause like, so I think that helps, especially if, if people listening are in primary care, but maybe even whatever care you are, like sometimes I, I think two things at once, like sometimes it's like, yeah, the longer the wait now it's like, I have to just take on being a specialist for my patients. And mm-hmm. sometimes that just isn't, it's not the best fit. I just did not go. I didn't get a five-year fellowship yeah. in nephrology. Like, totally. you don't want me to be your nephrologist. I promise, yeah. you know? And there's some things where it has been both fulfilling to me. And it sounds like you to keep and expand my skills to for help, sure. to help with the weight. Sure. And it's, and that there actually is a benefit because some, first of all, it really, I don't know about you, but like it interrupts the kind of grind of like the same, same kind of appointment. It's like this little, it's another mm-hmm. kind of oasis where I actually get to talk to patients. I get Netflix recommendations as I'm like having a longer appointment chatting mm-hmm. as I cut something off their back. I totally agree. I think um, that, um, it's, it is in a sense, like those lengthy wait for specialists in a lot of ways, it challenges me to, um, you know, be a bit more aggressive with empiric treatments because mm-hmm. I don't have the capacity to get you in to see an arrows and throat doc for a year. So yeah. rather than initiating that, ref- or we can initiate that referral, but yeah. let's try this, yeah. give it two weeks. I'll reassess you two weeks, yeah. reassess. Okay. That didn't work. Now we're going to try and rule this out. I'm mm-hmm. trying to rule out as much as I can. So by the time you're seen by a specialist yeah. 12 months from now, yeah. I can send a subsequent note to that specialist saying, Hey, FYI, I tried this. I tried this. I tried this. Mm -hmm. None of it has effectively resolved symptoms. What are you doing next? Please help. (laughs) Yeah. And ideally that shortens the wait list because then they don't have to do three different appointments. Right. For sure. 
the relay race. Like, I feel like that has a ripple of potentially a small ripple effect in healthcare or potentially the patient can cancel the referral altogether because we've aggressively tried, you know, empirical treatments for a variety of different, you know, query conditions and, and kind of rolled with it. If they've got red flags, that's different. But yeah, if, if it's, uh, you know, somewhat of a straightforward presentation and you've got time on your side to, to try different treatments, I think it's worth doing. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what's something completely outside of healthcare that is nourishing you that you enjoy? What's like kind of got you sparking and fired up these days? Oh, well, I just started doing my PhD. (gasps) Well, 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 (laughs) tell me more. What's, what's enjoyable or exciting about that for you? Well, I have always loved being a student and I do love research and writing and that whole process. So I figured, um, I I figured I might dive right in and try doing my own research and, and developing my own new knowledge. So um, yeah, so I've just started my PhD and I'm enjoying, I'm really enjoying it. I'm liking it. It's, uh, yeah, it's good. I feel like it's a really nice balance. It's, it's relevant to primary care because I, I do have a, a primary care focused research topic, proposed dissertation topic. And, uh, yeah, it's good. And it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's a nice balance between clinical work and academic work, the mm. academic world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for you. You're NP Thank doctor, you. right? Yeah, except no, I don't. I don't. Hi, do you hyphenate it? How does no. that work? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> NPHD. You can just like combine the P's and. <laughs> oh, no, 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 just no. We'll, we'll see. I have, I have a long ways to go. It takes a long yeah. time to, to get there. <laughs> yeah. Which is always fun to add those initials behind your name. Yeah. There's, point. yeah, you can, you can get, go down a rabbit hole on, on the internet about, you know abbreviations at the end of at oh, the really? end of names yeah is it, yeah. Is it like it's people have opinions to- to- yes <laughs> <laughs> there are toxic opinions out there about it it doesn't even matter what it is someone's yeah. gonna have a hot hot You're, take <laughs> I know they always do they always do <laughs> well thank you so much for your time Karen this well, has thanks. been such a fun conversation this has been it's been nice to talk to you for yeah. almost an hour with no interruptions <laughs> and we hardly talked about our kids and what <laughs> current upper respiratory tract infections and we didn't yeah. talk about anything having to do with you know challenging patient situations it's just more general so it's been nice <laughs> yeah I agree that's why I started this podcast secretly <laughs> there you go. yeah <laughs> all right um, okay. Passing last thought, what would you want to offer in terms of like, if it's encouragement or it doesn't have to be encouragement, like what's like a message that you hope that anyone listening can take with them into their work in healthcare? Um, in order to take care of others, you have to take care of yourself. Mm. There you go. That's, that's, that's what a I great place to sign off. Thanks, Karen. You're welcome. I would love to hear from you. Please share your human moments in medicine with me on Instagram at joanchanmd or on my website, joanchanmd.com. On my website, you can also find other restorative medical education offerings I have, including one-on-one coaching opportunities and skill building workshops. I look forward to connecting with you there.